Hey everyone, it's Jacob here. Welcome back to another episode of the Law of Code podcast. This is the show covering the legal side of crypto, NFTs, DAOs, and any other blockchain related innovation. Anything mentioned in this episode by Jacob Robinson or his guests is not legal advice or investment advice. All opinions are Jacob's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be relied upon for legal or investment decisions. This show is solely for information and entertainment purposes only. Jacob and his guests are not your lawyers, nor are they investment advisors. Please work directly with a lawyer or investment professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Law of Code podcast, where it is typically my job to sit down with the leading lawyers, regulators, compliance officers, entrepreneurs, and other actors in the digital asset industry. However, this week, I I wanted to do something a little different. But my thinking is, there's so much content out there. There's so many new updates. On March 9th, we had the executive order, for example, which is what this podcast will be about. And I want to transition the podcast to include not only interviews with some of the greatest minds in crypto law, but also include takeaways and walkthroughs of recent regulation, recent cases, and any other important updates in the space. So I wanted to do this as a bit of a test. I'd really appreciate your feedback. If you could let me know what you thought of this episode at Jacob Robinson JD on Twitter, I'd really appreciate that if you liked it. Uh, If you didn't like it, please let me know as well. Essentially, this will be look at the executive order. I'll read through some tweets from prominent players in the crypto law and crypto space. We'll walk through the fact sheet of the executive order, some important sections. So that way, my goal is for you to listen to this and have some takeaways moving forward on the executive order, whether or not you've already read it. My goal really is to understand the executive order myself and to help those listening understand as well. So with that intro out of the way, let's get into it. On March 9th, the White House released its long-anticipated executive order on cryptocurrencies, marking the first time Joe Biden's administration explicitly highlighted the need to preserve innovation and competitiveness in the U.S. The risk that crypto ventures and world-class Web3 founders, and of course their tax dollars, may flee the country appears to be understood. And it looks like essentially this executive order just lays out a process and series of deadlines for an interagency team to write framework around digital assets in six pretty different, very broad categories. We'll get into those as well. Biden also ordered a number of crypto reports from various government agencies, including one to be submitted within 180 days by the Treasury, on CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, uh, per section 4B, and one from the AG, Attorney General, on the need for any legislative changes for a CBDC to take place, and another one from the Treasury, another report from the Treasury on the implications of digital assets for financial markets and payment system. And these reports will be used to guide the debate that lawmakers and agencies will have as they actually write the American laws governing crypto. The order paints the industry with the widest possible brush, defining digital assets as digital currencies, financial assets, and instruments, as well as claims relating to payments, investments, and transmission or exchange of funds 
going as far as, quote, other representations of value, unquote. Essentially, we can readily expect federal regulation for all digital tokens, whether they're fungible or non-fungible. I'm talking to you, NFT people. And whether evidence in currency or physical assets or enabling consumptions of goods and services or the exercise of governance rights. If you have a crypto token that doesn't encapsulate any of those, I don't know what it does encapsulate. I wanted to get into the fact sheet and go through sort of the six bullet points that they highlighted here. The executive order calls for the following six measures. First, protect U.S. consumers, investors, and businesses by directing the Department of the Treasury and other agency partners to assess and develop policy recommendations to address the implications of the growing digital asset sector and changes in financial markets for consumers, investors, businesses, and equitable economic growth. So first of all, they want to protect U.S. consumers, right? That's the first consumers, investors, and businesses. That's their number one priority in terms of the fact sheet. And also in, it encourages regulators to ensure sufficient oversight and safeguard against any systemic financial risks posed by digital assets. The second part of the fact sheet speaks on the following. Protect U.S. and global financial stability and mitigate systemic risk. So it ties in a bit to the last one by encouraging the Financial Stability Oversight Council to identify and mitigate economy-wide systemic financial risks posed by digital assets and to develop appropriate policy recommendations to address any regulatory gaps. So they want to ensure they have a good idea of the risks associated and where blind spots might have been in the past so that they can be addressed in the future. Third is mitigating the illicit finance and national security risks posed by the illicit use of digital assets. They intend to do this by directing an unprecedented focus of coordinated action across all U.S. government agencies, all relevant U.S. government agencies, to mitigate these risks. It also directs agencies to work with allies and partners to ensure international frameworks, capabilities, and partnerships are aligned and responsive to risks. If you're a crypto maxi, you probably don't love to hear something like that. The Fourth, as a U.S. national interest that must inform the approach to digital asset innovation. They want to ensure that safe access is available for individuals using American financial services because of the importance for communities that have had a long, that have long had insufficient access to financial services. There's an incredible amount of people who are unbanked, who um, don't really understand how financial services work. Uh, the financial illiteracy in, in America, in North America in general, is sad. It's frightening. Um, so it's, I think it's great that they're promoting something like this. How it'll turn out in reality is hard to say. Um, but the Secretary of the Treasury is directed to work with all relevant agencies to produce a report on the future of money and payment systems to include implications for economic growth, financial growth, and inclusion, national security, and the extent to which technological innovation may influence that future. And I was given a talk uh, a couple weeks ago on digital assets to an LLM class, and someone brought up a great point relating to homelessness and how homeless people will be able to participate 
in a few of me that is largely digital because panhandling that occurs is through cash, through um, coins or fiat currency given on the street. It might be hard for a homeless individual to have their ledger um, or have their hardware wallet on them all the time. And so they'll need to be some way, like this is a very specific example, but it's easy to expand upon that in a, in a greater manner when looking at the wealth gap and, and how that might continue to grow and how we can ensure that the future is equitable for, for all. So I think that's great to, to see that they're putting this in the forefront as one of the main aspects of this executive order. The sixth aspect of the fact sheet touches on supporting technological advances and ensuring responsible development and use of digital assets by directing the U.S. government to take concrete steps to study and support technological advances in the responsible development, design, and implementation of digital asset systems while prioritizing privacy, security, combating illicit exploitation, and reducing negative climate impacts. And we'll talk a bit about that more specifically when we go through the individual sections, but this is an important thing, especially as it relates to Bitcoin's proof-of-work mining system. Lastly, there was a strong directive to explore a U.S. central bank digital currency by placing urgency on research and development of a potential U.S. CBDC should issuance be deemed in the national interest. And that will be a really interesting concept. Jake Travinsky wrote a great piece on the dangers of a U.S. CBDC as opposed to allowing private issuers of stable coins, uh, which I'll link that in the show notes. But this order essentially directs the U.S. government to assess the technological infrastructure and capacity needs for a potential U.S. CBDC in a manner that protects Americans' interests. The order also encourages the Federal Reserve to continue its research, development, and assessment efforts for a U.S. CBDC, including development of a plan for broader U.S. government action in support of their work. This effort prioritizes U.S. participation in a multi-country experimentation and ensures U.S. leadership internationally to promote CBDC development that is consistent with U.S. priorities and democratic values. So there's a lot there. It's uh, It was a long report. The fact sheet was really helpful to gain a broad overview. One thing I did want to highlight was a great thread that Ryan Selkis wrote um, summarizing the executive order after he had read it all in full. So I wanted to go through a bit about what he wrote and some interesting obser- observations that Ryan made. First of all, there's 10 sections. The first is about goals of the executive order. The third is about coordinating the different offices and agents agencies. Nine and 10 are definitions and disclaimers. So really there are these six main sections. There's the summary of objectives, the CBDC research and development, the discussion around consumer and business protection, market integrity and systemic risk is the fourth one. Fifth is the illicit finance risk and the considerations for that. And the last is the international coordination, which will be important in rollout, regardless of whether it's a CBDC or just stronger regulation for digital assets. In terms of the summary objectives, really it was to protect investors, 
that was first and foremost to ensure uh, as well that exchanges operate under the same business, same risks, same rules framework, mitigate illicit finance risk. So from peer-to-peer transactions to DeFi, both of those got a mention. The objectives were also to ensure the U.S. leads on financial and tech innovation, as well as ensuring that they don't forget important considerations regarding diversity, equality, as well as climate change goals. The primary goal is clearly to extend a cross-department CBDC mandate. This is the first major section of the executive order, and it's underscored with quote, the highest urgency on research and development efforts, unquote. President Biden will get the report from the Treasury in 180 days. I'm not sure if it'll be made public at that point. The Federal Reserve and the Attorney General will weigh in as well. And important considerations will include privacy and the ability to exercise human rights. These will all fall within this CBDC mandate. What's interesting that that Ryan noted is this ability to exercise human rights clause is in a few places throughout the executive order, uh, which is a bit odd, but really it'll depend on the interpretation of this. It could mean your right to hold Bitcoin in your brain wallet is a human right. They have no right to get your password from your brain, essentially, or it could be abused, something along the lines of the right to be forgotten. Section 5 is uh, a big one for investors. It's talking about the consumer and business protection. The lead really is CBDCs, but the ones most people will care about are Sections 5BV, Section 5BVI, and Section 5BVII. Does CFPB, the SEC, and CFTC need more authority to address risks to investors. They seem to be listed in order of implied importance. If you look at Section 5BV, it states, quote, the chair of the FTC and the director of the CFPB are each encouraged to consider the extent to which privacy or consumer protection measures within their respective jurisdictions may be issued to protect users of digital assets and whether additional measures may be needed. Section 5BVI states, quote, The chair of the SEC, the chairman of the CFTC, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, the chairperson of the board of directors of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the comptroller of the currency. So it's interesting he put it in that order, starting with the chair of the SEC, are each encouraged to consider the extent to which investor and market protection measures within their respective jurisdictions may be used to address the risks of digital assets and whether additional measures may be needed. Section 5BVII will probably be the biggest for Bitcoiners, uh, especially Bitcoin maxis, to keep an eye on. It directs the study of the implications for energy policy, including as it relates to grid management and reliability, energy efficiency incentives and standards, and sources of energy supply. Section 5BVI contains uh, subsections A and B. And I will read the whole thing for you just so you have an idea of what it encompasses for all you Bitcoin maxis. 
quote, Within 180 days of the date of this order, the Director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, in consultation with the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Energy, the Administrator of the Environmental Protections Agency, the Chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, the Assistant to the President and National Climate Advisor, and the heads of other relevant agencies, none of that's done, they all shall submit a report to the President on the connections between distributed ledger technology and short, medium, and long-term economic and energy transitions. So that's one part. The potential for these technologies to impede or advance efforts to tackle climate change at home and abroad. That's another part. And three, the impacts these technologies have on the environment. Obviously, people who are fans of proof of work for the security it provides aren't thrilled by reading an order like this, considering how ignorant it appears many people have been in terms of Bitcoin's energy usage, and really how opposed uh, large members of politicians around the world have been against proof of work mechanisms for blockchain security. This report will be, so I forgot to say unquote, but we'll start the, the, <laughs> the quote again. So quote, this report shall be coordinated through the interagency process described in section three of the order. It should also address the effect of cryptocurrencies consensus mechanisms on energy usage, including research in, into potentially mitigating measures and alternative mechanisms of consensus and the design trade-offs those may entail. The report should specifically address, and then it, unquote, and then it goes into subsection A, quote, potential uses of blockchain that could support monitoring or mitigating technologies to climate impacts, such as exchanging of liabilities for greenhouse gas emissions, water, and other natural or environmental assets, unquote. And section B goes on to say, quote, Implications for energy policy, including as it relates to grid management and reliability, energy efficiency incentives and standards, and sources of energy supply, unquote. Okay, so that's a pretty large section. Essentially, it's asking for a report within 180 days with consultation from various agencies relating to economics, energy, and environment to create a report addressing consensus mechanism mechanisms used by different cryptocurrencies, as well as insights into potential mitigating measures, specifically addressing the potential uses of blockchain that could support technologies that mitigate climate impacts, as well as implications for energy policy that accompany cryptocurrency usage. Moving on to section six, this gives the Financial Stability Oversight Council, authority to collaborate on market integrity and systemic risk issues. They have 210 days to report on this. It's pretty basic, um, but an important note is that the SEC is listed before the CFTC here. Again, as, as Ryan mentioned, he's not sure if he's reading too much into that, but the crypto community at large would want that reversed, especially proponents that who claim, and I think rightly so, that 
a large majority of cryptocurrencies are should fall under the commodities umbrella as opposed to securities, noting obviously that there are some that may be considered securities. So per section six, quote, actions to promote financial stability, mitigate systemic risk and strengthen market integrity, unquote. That's the broad heading that the following fall under. Per Section A, quote, financial regulators, including the SEC, the CFTC, and the CFPB and federal banking agencies, play critical roles in establishing and overseeing protections across the financial system that safeguard its integrity and promote its stability. Since 2017, the Secretary of the Treasury has convened the Financial Stability Oversight Council, the FSOC, to assess the financial stability risks and regulatory gaps posed by the ongoing adoption of digital assets. The United States must assess and take steps to address risks that digital assets pose to financial stability and financial market integrity. So that's pretty much uh, an overview of section seven for you, or sorry, section six. In terms of section seven, the most urgent deadlines really are for illicit finance Government really is not a fan of ransomware, as well as general know-your-customer and anti-money laundering risks. There are 90 days and 120 days, for the treasury, respectively, for the Treasury to produce findings and make recommendations for solutions relating to illicit finance and these general risks mentioned. Section 8 talks about international coordination which, of course, could be the weak link on things relating to self-custody rules, Bitcoin mining, travel rule compliance, peer-to-peer, DeFi regulation, etc. Without international coordination, it will be nearly impossible to install these goals of the Biden administration, especially how it relates to illicit finance, because as we know, international actors can be very clever with how they move money around. And if you don't have access to these off-ramps, these centralized exchanges, banks, etc., your ability to tie crypto addresses to specific individuals who may be sanctioned, who the government may have other interests in monitoring, will be next to impossible if things are solely on the blockchain and living in digital addresses. Per Tom Emmer, the congressman from Minnesota's 6th District, a read between the lines leads to one important takeaway uh, that I wanted to highlight, which I thought Tom did a great job of expunging on. The executive order doesn't mention decentralization once. Not at all. But the disintermediation of the American economy would enable all Americans, regardless of circumstance, to decide their futures not a big bank or tech or the government. Given the administration's regulatory posture towards the crypto community, as Tom says, there's no reason to assume that the directives of the executive order will yield results that appropriately acknowledge the importance of leading with digital asset policies that prioritize open, permissionless, and private technology. And those are all obviously very important considerations as they are arguably the three most important aspects of cryptocurrencies. That ability to provide transparency 
provide privacy on a greater scale that previously wasn't impossible. And the fact that decentralization isn't mentioned once in the executive order is a bad omen, in my opinion. Per Jerry Brito, the message he takes from this executive order is that the federal government sees crypto as a legitimate, serious, and important part of the economy and society. And as Jerry says, he thinks it's a good signal to serious people who've been holding back from getting involved. And I couldn't agree more. I think this really lends legitimacy to more so the blockchain space in particular than necessarily cryptocurrencies, but also obviously those those two go hand in hand because there are people who see NFTs and, and see this emerging space on the news and think it's a bunch of hogwash and, and really depending on what they've seen, <laughs> I'm sure some of it is, but this lends weight to the seriousness and the impending inevitability of cryptocurrencies. In short conclusion, this order is the Biden administration's command for the federal establishment to engage with the digital asset world. It sets out basic policy objectives and orders answers to the questions of why digital assets should be incorporated into policy much more than how. So it doesn't get into the nitty gritty, but they're starting this process of understanding where CBDCs and cryptocurrencies can fit in to the broader American ecosystem. The order doesn't indicate whether or how any specific digital assets are to be regulated other than at present. We have fungible digital assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, which have gained acceptance in the marketplace largely because they're beyond government control. And the order proposes ultimately a US central bank digital currency, which would be a fiat currency issued by the Federal Reserve in digital form. There's no direct action to be taken from this order as, as of this time. It essentially is a request for reports for more information to figure out where cryptocurrencies fit into the future of America. There is no anchor drop, no line in the sand on any specific positions, but the order marks an official and long-anticipated acknowledgement by the Biden administration. Citing the growth and scale of the industry, the White House acknowledges that digital assets are here to stay as financial and technological realities. I will link the fact sheet and the full executive order in the show notes below. Thank you so much for joining me today. I, I hope you found this valuable. If you did or didn't, or if you had any feedback on how things like this can be improved moving forward, I have planned to do one solo pod on the history of the accredited investor regulation, which I spent about 20 hours learning over the past week. I think it's a really important thing to understand. And my takeaway of how accredited investor regulations could be improved going forward actually changed after really understanding the history and where it came from, as well as how it could fit into the future, particularly relating to digital assets. So again, if you like this, if you didn't like this, if you think there should be more, if you had topics you'd like me to uh, read about and, and talk about on the Law of Code podcast, I'd appreciate your feedback at Jacob Robinson JD. Uh, as usual, I will continue to have some of the most amazing guests on the podcast who I'm learning from at the same time you are and who are so kind and willing to share their experiences and their thoughts on blockchain law. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you.